This is Jane Smith reporting for WASP News. We report so you don't have to decide. Now, we're live outside of Sovereign Studios, where a protest has been taking place. Uh, sir, sir, what is going on here? We're going to put an end to his godless hedonism. He's corrupting the entire planet. Uh, you must be talking about the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. That's right. That sex fiend of an anarchist has crossed the line. We're going to rip his triple black clothing and then him to shreds. But Brian Sovereign believes in nonviolence. We don't care. He wants to end government and wants to pervert science and technology to do it. Brian Sovereign has to be stopped. This just in. Brian Sovereign is coming out of the studio. baby as soon as this episode's done <laughs> that's right pork fest is coming up i hope to see a lot of sovereign tech listeners there uh of course there will be a live sovereign tech which i am going to do my level best to make an ex- make it a very exciting episode lots of guests uh we'll be doing q a uh, if people want to do that all kinds of things and there might even be video i you know i said i because i am on periscope i might try periscoping from there as well along with other streaming solutions we'll see i can't guarantee any of that of course you can keep your eyes open at zog.ninja you can go there and look at the zog blog and there i'll discuss uh you know what exactly you know throughout the week maybe what plans will come up I'm also going to be giving a talk at uh, Porkfest, at least one, maybe maybe there is more, <laughs> but at least one uh, at Alt Expo, where I will be talking about Dark Android, and I think that'll be a, a really interesting uh, time. I, I gave a, gave at least two or three talks, I think, last year at Porkfest, and I uh, had a really good turnout and a good crowd and a lot of Sovereign Tech listeners there. Uh, that was a really good time. So, uh, yeah, please don't hesitate to say hi. To the man of tomorrow, if you are at uh, Porkfest anytime this week, I'll be there all week. So thanks, folks. Yeah, I'll be here all week. <laughs> anyway, uh, really excited for all of that. E cryptographia libertas. What does that mean? Well, it's kind of, you know, it's something I, I, I thought about. And what it means in Latin, it means from cryptography, freedom or from cryptography, liberty. I might, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe mixing that in somehow uh, with the show to some degree, but I'm not sure exactly how. But I, I love the phrase. I just wanted to get, you know, get it out there. Uh, and, you know, I kind of like how some people go with this whole kind of classical coat of arms thing, even though it comes from a, you know, ridiculous uh, <laughs> bit of society. But to do it in jest, I think, uh, could be very, uh, very interesting, uh, you know, as, as a jest against Western culture, perhaps, um, which maybe we'll talk about that more later. But uh, I just I thought that was pretty great. So I, I just shared it with you quick. I don't really have a huge point, but certainly cryptography is something we talk about quite a bit uh, on Sovereign Tech. And uh, anyway, let's get into the random access. Uh, a lot to cover in this episode, a whole lot to cover. First on the lineup is Kim.com back in the news. Uh, of course, this is the guy, you know, mega, mega upload, uh, all of that. And many, you know, many people think that governments consider him to be a public enemy. Number one, as dangerous as Julian Assange and others. Uh, he has whatever reality exists within all that. Um, I am excited about something that he is going to be crowdfunding for very soon. Uh, and I'm not I'm still not totally clear on whether or not this is going to be released in January 2016 or if that's just when the crowdfunding starts uh, or what. And, I, you know, well, I've talked about how I feel about crowdfunding in general uh, on Sovereign Tech in the past. Um, I really wish he would just make this and release it. And then I'm sure lots of people would happily donate uh, to him, you know, for creating it. But what it is, it's MegaNet. And this is, in a lot of ways, it kind of sounds like MadeSafe, uh, or it sounds like, uh, what is a, a BitTorrent's version, Maelstrom, uh, or ZeroNet, that's another one, where it's this, you know, kind of this peer-to-peer -peer, uh, internet, where... You know, it's not done on servers, you know, none of that. Uh, I'm not, again, even the details on what MegaNet exactly is aren't entirely clear. Uh, I don't think it was explicitly stated that it's open source, but I would hope that it is. Otherwise, uh, I wouldn't blame people for not really trusting it much. Um, but, you know, these, it is a literal new internet infrastructure. It will not be using, you know, the, the good old fashioned, uh, <laughs> or, you know, not good, perhaps the bad old fashioned, uh, you know, ARPANET infrastructure or internet infrastructure, uh, that everybody's used to. So this, this has a lot of, a lot of, you know, a lot of opportunities here. Now, I don't know necessarily they're going to be laying out line and whatever, but th this is the thing. The bottom line is, is I'm glad that a lot of people are seeing it to be incredibly important to have completely different, you know, Internet protocols, uh, you know, and, and to have multiple internets, mul yes, plural, multiple internets. And I welcome them all. There's room for all of them. Made safe, zero net, maelstrom, uh, the Internet itself, even. Uh, even though I think that after things like MegaNet come around, maybe those will uh, fall out of favor, uh, you know, because they have some serious centralization issues and security and, and you know, redundancy, reliability issues, uh, because the Internet was never designed for any of that. It wasn't designed, you know, as a as a cryptographic uh, protocol. So and, and actually the creators of the Internet or some of them anyway, including Vint Cerf, uh, he even said that that was the biggest mistake. Uh, that they made was that they did not put, you know, security, uh, you know, they, they didn't build security into it. Now, they weren't even talking about privacy or anonymity. 
Uh, but anyway, Meganet does look really interesting. You might want to, you know, check it out, do a, a, you know, duck it, do a duck, duck, go, uh, search, you know, speaking of duck, duck, go, this was really exciting. Uh, they did the head or, you know, the CEO of duck, duck, go was on a, uh, some news show of whatever kind, but he came out and said that since Edward, since the Snowden revelations. So what's that almost two years now? Uh, he, that DuckDuckGo's usage has gone up 600%. That's phenomenal that people are getting away from that. Now, there's the chance, I'll admit, and this didn't get discussed, there's the chance that the reason DuckDuckGo's usage went up is because Apple mentioned it, you know, in recent uh, recent conferences and events. Um, so, I, you know, maybe that's what it's about. Maybe it's not so much the Snowden revelations. Maybe it more has to do with uh, Apple wanting to get away from Google. Uh, in fact, Apple, as I understand it, is coming up with their own search engine. Uh, it's really interesting because a lot of this highlights that, and I didn't even mean to get into this, but I'll get into it. Uh, a lot of this really highlights that Google may not always, I think people can't imagine a world where Google is not a verb or where Google is, you know, not this omnipresent, you know, company that's everywhere. Uh, I think it's entirely possible. I think Apple could knock them down. I think if there was a culture shift towards a more DAPS culture, you know, DAPS being decentralization, anonymity, privacy, and security, that Google could totally falter, could totally fall apart uh, because they don't make a whole lot of money in a lot of their other areas. Okay. So search, you know, and, and their, their ad words and all that, you know, all of that is still their bread and butter, you know, pushing ads on you is still their bread and butter. And that might completely change. You know, if Apple comes out and says, Oh, we're going to have a search engine. I mean, believe me, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to jump on that. You know, it'll be the hip thing. So, you know, where, where you make shifts in culture, it really doesn't matter what a company does. If the culture doesn't accept it, it just doesn't accept it. I'm not necessarily rooting for Apple either. Believe me, they have their own problems. Okay. But I don't think it's true that, that Google, uh, you know, will always be on top. In fact, I'll make a prediction right here. I like to do these. And at some point I need to compile them. <laughs> I have, I have quite a few, uh, some of which have come true. And my prediction is, is that perhaps within like the next 10 years, Google will actually only be YouTube and maybe like uh, play music all access. Like that's all it'll be. Um, I, I could really, really picture that that becoming a reality. In fact, when I did my 2099 episode, um, I had said that Google got bought out by Amazon. So anyway, I think that 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 could be a fact. And it's interesting that Google may even know this because all the divisions of Google are under, is it Sundar Pichai? Sundar Pichai runs like all of Google except for one division, YouTube. He does not operate YouTube. And maybe that's because Google knows just exactly what they have there. But they really don't know how to fund it. They're still working on that. I think the the all or the music pass or whatever that you get with Google Play Music All Access, uh, you know, that comes with that is a start in how to make that happen. I think they could get away with charging for, you know, for YouTube and YouTube alone. Now they have the YouTube gaming uh, network, which is going to be taking on Twitch, which is owned by Amazon now, of all things. Uh, so I think that that's a real possibility that Google could totally get knocked off the perch uh, very soon. 
and then eventually might even just become YouTube and YouTube alone. And then maybe they'll get bought out <laughs> by, by that point. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I mean, they're trying so many things. Yeah, they have Google X, but I mean, you got to consider like a lot of their hardware stuff recently have all been failures. They've been terrible, terrible failures. Uh, so I don't think that there is diversified a business as many would consider as even I would have considered a little while ago. And you got to understand, you know, a couple years ago, I was a Google fanboy, even during while I was recording Sovereign Tech, I was still kind of, you know, rah, rah, Google, this is going to be fun. Uh, but then, you know, I had a bit of a, a bit of an, uh, an, an awareness raising, a bit of an awakening, <laughs> we'll say. Uh, and, you know, like, I love the point that, that Julian Assange says, it's like even an empire that's motto is don't be evil is still an empire. And I think that's that's very, very true, you know, with with Google. So. Anyway, uh, that's that's something before, you know, actually, let's talk. I got another little bit here about uh, Google in the random access. Let's talk about it. Uh, Chromium, not even Chrome. You know, Google Chrome is based off of Chromium. OK, uh, which, you know, that's the open source end of it. And a lot of people will just use Chromium alone because they don't want the closed source aspects of, uh, you know, of using Google Chrome and, and, you know, that comes with some disadvantage. Like one of the things, one of the advantages that Google Chrome has over pretty much any other, largely any other browser, the Microsoft edge, which will be out next month, uh, you know, in July, you know, th I think this, they have this ability too, but they have what's called pepper flash where you have this really like, like light version, uh, integrated version of flash that is a lot more secure to deal with. You don't want Flash on your computer. So using Google Chrome is very attractive because of that, because then you don't have to install Flash because it's such a security nightmare, uh, along with other things in Adobe. But, <laughs> but um, you know, but Chromium doesn't offer that. So I don't necessarily see the advantages of using Chromium other than, you know, yes, it, Chromium itself is really fast. But here's kind of the funny thing, because it is sort of the creme de la creme, you know, open source browser that a lot of people want to base stuff off. Uh, this week, it was discovered that Chromium is auto downloading uh, some binaries, like, you know, like background code, background source code. Uh, and it did it like without you knowing. Um, and it's and here's the thing. It's close. It's a closed source binary. It's called the Chrome hot word shared module. And now, first off, this hot word shared module has to do with voice recognition. Uh, so that's concerning in and of itself, because is this thing is this closed source code that we can't look at? And Chromium is supposed to be also fucking open source. Uh, you know, is is this something that's activating my microphone without my knowledge? You know, what the hell is this? And there hasn't really been any response about it. Uh, but this is really concerning because, you know, that that Chromium is putting in this closed source stuff. I mean, browsers is something we've been talking about quite a bit because even Firefox is now dalliancing with a lot of closed source code. And that's that's a fucking security issue. OK, when you consider that, again, a lot of the you know, the battle for, as I've said, and I hate to use the word battle, but the battle for, you know, anonymity, privacy and security on the internet is largely going to be waged at the, you know, at the client level at the web browser itself. And the web browser for so many people is their actual, like that's most of what they do on a computer. That's why Chromebooks are so popular. Well, one of the reasons. So uh, I think this is really disconcerting uh, and you have very few places to go 
you know, very few things to, you know, we talked about alternatives. There's, uh, there's you know, Cupzilla, that's Q-U-P. Uh, there's Ice Cat, uh, even Sea Monkey. Uh, there, there's a few others, but I think that's something that you really need to look at. Chromium is, you know, this, this kind of makes a damning case that Chromium is no longer just this open source wonder. So, I mean, in Cupzilla, you know, that that's a that's a WebKit based, even though I, I know now Google uses Blink. Right. Uh, but that's a WebKit based browser. So, I mean, you can still use that if, if you're interested in, the, in those sorts of things. Uh, but this is a this is this is a little creepy. <laughs> you know, uh, this should be. In fact, I'm shocked. It really wasn't getting talked about a whole lot more because I listen to mainstream tech news a lot. And I don't recall anybody mentioning this. I had to get it from, uh, I think it was Hacker News, and then uh, I think a listener actually shared a story with me that was uh, similar uh, to it. So that that's a real problem. Uh, but let, let's get into the rest of uh, the random access. Yeah, start start looking into a lot of these, you know, alternative, smaller uh, web browsers if you are concerned with your anonymity, privacy, and security. I, I think that's a, a very good idea to do. So, uh, well, now let's talk about Apple, shall we? <laughs> There's plenty of stuff to go around. Uh, there was zero days in iOS, zero days, zero day vulnerabilities are vulnerabilities that, you, you know, you don't know about. And that's why they're, they're called zero days. They kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, and these vulnerabilities were allowing for, uh, you know, like stealing of passwords, uh, you know, access to personal data, all this good, you know, all this stuff. And it's on iOS and OS X. And Apple knew about them for six months before they said anything. Ooh, boy. For a company <laughs> that talks about, oh, you know, we, you know, we're, we're secure. We're really out there. You know, we're, we're telling you what's going on. We, you know, we like to be kind of open with you. And, and, and yeah, and again, the way they tout their security, uh, these were major, major holes. Uh, in what's going on. And now please understand, like with the iOS things, I mean, Android's no better. I'm not, or at least Google's Android is no better. I'm not playing sides here. Okay. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, it needs to be brought to some degree into question, uh, you know, like Apple's claims. And, and I think it's crazy that they, they waited six months. A lot of these companies are just waiting, you know, there's like 90 day clauses. There's a swift key thing. You know, I wrote about quite a bit on this. If you haven't checked out the Zog blog or the dark Android blog, dark or zog.ninja, I write, there's content that comes out every day. Okay. And I write articles about a lot of this stuff and what's going on. Okay. So, and, and it's stuff that I can't always cover on sovereign tech. So if you, you know, you want to keep up with the, you know, a lot of the stuff that I consider really pressing, of course you can read, uh, you know, those, those blog posts, uh, there. So, I mean, this is, you know, this is nuts. And then this week also we had the last pass, uh, crack that, that occurred where apparently master, uh, you know, master, master passwords, from LastPass, and I've recommended LastPass in the past. Again, I did a, I did a whole blog post on this one. Okay, uh, ma you know, master passwords were taken, uh, but I guess to some degree it got a little bit overblown. You know, LastPass themselves were just saying to change your master passwords because they wanted you, uh, you know, they wanted to be as safe as possible. Okay, it wasn't necessarily saying that they had confirmation that any were taken, just they were trying to do right by their users, saying, if you want to be perfectly safe, this is what you need to do. Uh, but but the LastPass servers were cracked. Um, it's still a viable option. 
Uh, in my opinion, certainly if you use LastPass, I've recommended it again in the past. Uh, you know, do change your master password. I agree with that, whether they got cracked or not. Um, and even then, like having the master password, as I understand it, the really the only danger was if you use that password in more than one place. Which that, you know, if you've done that, I mean, don't don't do that. You know, you use use ma your master password and have that be like the only one. Have it be completely different from your Google password or your Microsoft password or whatever. OK, that that's apparently the only real danger out of it. But uh, I did talk a little bit about, you know, my my idea of the little black book on how to keep passwords offline or using KeyPass. Uh, go to zog.ninja and you can find the blog post about that. I think it's called Last Pass in the Little Black Book. Uh, if you want to read more about my thoughts um, on that, uh, let's get into one one last story, a couple stories here. So I'll be talking a little more. I had a bunch of people email me, say, hey, could you, you know, E3 was this week, the Electronic uh, Entertainment Expo. Uh, I think they just call it E3 now, though. But this is kind of the big gaming event of the year. It's sort of the Google I.O. or the WWDC of um, of the gaming industry. And. You know, they asked me to talk about it and I, I will talk about it at some point uh, or, you know, in, in later on in the show, I might give a, a just a brief overview of what I think. Um, but a couple interesting tidbits of news that actually came out of it. One was is that Mirror's Edge. OK, uh, Mirror's Edge, which is an awesome like a parkour kind of game. The lead character is a female. Her name's Faith uh, kind of takes place in, in a futuristic uh, Asian setting. It's, I mean, just a really slick game. One of, one of my favorites. And actually, I mean, there was talk of there being a sequel years ago, years ago. And then, you know, they said, no, we're, we're not going to do it. Uh, you know, electronics arts, electronic arts, who, who owns the, the property, they said, no, nah, we're, we're not interested. And then this year they announced that they're going to, they're going to do it. It's called catalyst. That's the name. It's mirrors edge catalyst. And the interesting thing is that they said there will be no gunplay in this by the character. I'm sure, you know, the villains or the bad guys in the game will probably have guns. Um, but the character of faith, she will not have any gunplay whatsoever. Now that was kind of, that's one of the things that I really liked about the first game was that you could beat the whole thing without picking up a gun. And yet it has a first person shooter style, but no shooting you know, no, no guns. You could use guns, but it always felt kind of awkward. And so, the, you know, the developers were definitely leading you away from the notion of doing that. And I thought that was really, really cool. And so now on this one, it's just straight up blatant in the, in the sequel that, nope, there will be no guns in the game, uh, you know, for faith, you know, faith will not use them. And so I thought that was, uh, that was really cool. Uh, but anyway, excited for that. But the real, the really interesting thing, and I actually had a listener bring it to my attention, um, was that Xbox or Microsoft announced for their Xbox one that they will be doing, I, what's it called? Xbox game preview, I think is the name of it. And what this is, is effectively steam early access. Now, I've talked about Steam Early Access in the past on Sovereign Tech. Uh, you know, I'm annoyed by it. Okay, Steam Early Access is this idea that, okay, we'll put up a game like in an alpha stage or, if you're lucky, a beta stage, and people can try it out and test out the bugs, and we can, you know, kind of kind of get a feel for the market of what people want, you know, what features they want in this game and all that. It, it's a terrible idea. It, I mean, it's fucking terrible, okay, because... You there's with Steam, there's no guarantee that the game will ever be completed. Uh, I mean, like, you know, it could be it could be an early access for all time. 
Okay. And in fact, this week, this is interesting, you know, to kind of like uh, highlight the problem with this, be it on will, what will be coming in the Xbox One or what already exists on Steam Early Access. Okay. Is a game called Wild, Wildborn, I think, or Windborn. Windborn's the name of it, is Windborn. And this came out in 2014. You had to hash out, if you didn't get it on sale, you had to hash out for an alpha stage game. $45. There's no demo to download. It is the demo, but you have to pay for the demo. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> do you see, do you hear this? Is this ringing around in your head? How crazy that is. A demo is supposed to be you dem. It's a demonstration to see if you want to buy it. It's not for something for you to pay. You don't pay for a fucking demo. Okay. I mean, companies have tried to do that in the past, but you know, it always meets with limited success, but for some reason, early access is working. But anyway, this game windborn just got taken off of steam no refunds no you know no money back if you hashed out 45 dollars or whatever you ended up i mean i don't know if it had any purchases or not i because i refuse to buy early access games i won't do it you know unless it comes in like a humble bundle or something i don't i don't want anything to do with it you give me a finished product okay and i and you know and i'll i'm all for it okay my own game hypercronius which you can get at zog.ninja, my own game. No way. I wasn't, you know, there's no beta. There's no, none of that. I'm going to give you a finished goddamn product. Okay. So this Xbox game preview, it looks like they're doing things maybe a little bit better than early access where they're giving you a little bit more if you get involved, you know, if you purchase it, but it's still the same bullshit where you are getting an incomplete experience, an incomplete game, and some developers out in who knows fucking where get a free ride. And they never, and as far as I know, with, with, uh, you know, with Xbox Game Preview, there's no requirement, again, for the developers to finish the game. And so there's no consequence. Now, if Xbox Game Preview said, the, you know, we guarantee you this game will be finished, Fine. But even, you know, th like that'd be something that'd at least be, you know, an olive branch of sorts. Okay. To gamers. But even then you have a problem because, you know, you can release a game that shit, you can release a game that's essentially unfinished, but just say, oh yeah, it's finished. I mean, you go on steam. It's hilarious. There's games that cost more than hypercronius does. And like, you, you know, you'll be walking around and you'll literally fall through the floor of the game. It's crazy. And that's considered a finished product. So there's, there's no guarantees here in gaming, no doubt. And, and they're, I'm not saying there should be, you know, caveat emptor, right? Uh, you know, buyer beware. Firm believer in that fact in the marketplace. Okay. The problem is, is that this is incentivizing, you know, real, I mean, in many ways, uh, uh, you know, it's taking advantage of gamers. Uh, you know, this is not cool. Because again, there's no there's no incentives to actually finish the game. There's just incentives to like put some put out an alpha product, you know, alpha meaning a product that's you know nowhere near finished, and just just start collecting you know the money and maybe even you know I don't know these guys are probably driving around in like fucking Lamborghinis, you know, and they're, and they're laughing all the way home because they didn't uh, you know they. They just collected the money and they don't have to refund anything. It's it's insane. I this whole thing, I, you know, I don't know what happened. I, well, I know extreme programming, right? That's that's what started in the nineties. 
Uh, we really got to get away from that. This whole thing, oh, you know, there's, we need betas. We're going to beta RC2, beta RC3, you know, or I kind of combine terms there. Uh, that, that really, I know people say, well, that's a great way to find out uh, if there's problems. No. If you have beta testers, in my opinion, you should do it like it was done before the late 1990s, where not you pay for the privilege to be a beta tester. You get paid to be a beta tester. You know, testing out flaws in games used to be a torturous act. You can read about guys that used to do it. You know, game testers, it used to be a full on job. Now that's not even necessary. And I'm not complaining. All oh, that job's gone. I'm saying that that whole attitude that no, before you put it out to the consumer public, you've got to be delivering the goods when it gets out there. And that's not happening. Now everybody's okay with, oh, give me the beta. Give me this. Give me that. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, yes, if you want to try out the newest features and, and whatever. I mean, yeah, you get Firefox beta. Okay, that, that's pretty close to a well-done product. That's, that's a very different story. Okay, but largely this attitude of, you know, getting it all tested in the wild, I think it's ridiculous. We would have never gotten here if that was the order, if that was the attitude. You know, like Windows 3.1, Windows 3.1 had to work great until like Windows 3.1.1 came out a year or two years later. Okay. It had like you had to do, they, they had these programmers had to do their fucking diligence to make sure that what you were downloading was rock solid. This is a big problem. It's happening in the Linux space now to where you're, you're downloading the latest version of Ubuntu and if, hell, if you can even call that Linux anymore, okay, <laughs> you know, you're downloading the latest version of Ubuntu and it's just littered with bugs as to where back in the day you could download a version of Ubuntu and you could go offline and go about your day and generally have, you know, not much problem. But now everybody's like, oh, you know, they got this, this fast release cycle. I don't know. I, I just, I think the incentives are all way, way off. And the whole notion of extreme programming uh, is, is crazy. Uh, I don't agree with it uh, at all. I mean, and it takes away the art. It takes away the art. You know, the, I mean, coding is an art form designing, you know, these OSs and these games and all this stuff. It's all fine art. You know, can you picture? And so, let, you know, let's talk art. Can you picture Leonardo da Vinci putting up a half painted Mona Lisa? No, that's ridiculous. When the artist is done, it gets put out there. Interestingly, maybe we'll talk about that sort of thing uh, a, a little bit later on. Uh, I got way too deep in this. So I have, uh, I, I've, we've got a main story. I want to go ahead and, uh, and let's, let's get into that. So, you know, Hey, look, I, I, I just want to say quick, I get it. I really, really get it. That coding is hard. You know, releasing a finished product is really, really hard. Believe me. I totally understand. I understand. It's, it's great that because of, you know, the information superhighway that we can, update very quickly any bugs that get found. Okay. But I'm just saying that that should not be, you know, that, that should be something you don't count on. Okay. That should be something that is just like, that's a safety net. It's not something that you're like, well, cause I think I've heard programmers say this. Well, if there's a problem, we'll release a patch right away. If they even do it right away. <laughs> okay. But you know, that, that's the thing. It, that shouldn't be like the default thought. Uh, you know, I get it. It's great that we can do that. I've, I had to release a, you know, there's a couple updated versions of hypercronius. 
Okay. I had to do that. I understand. But, you know, my initial goal was for there to be zero, zero bug fixes and to not rely upon the fact, uh, you know, that I'd have to have people re-download it, uh, you know, or whatever else. Anyway, speaking of downloading, let's get into our main story. We've got a bit of a doozy here. And this is from uh, from Torrent Freak. And I think it has a lot to say. Uh, and it's a topic that comes up all the time, and it's a topic that's actually pretty heated in libertarian and anarchist circles, and that is the topic of piracy. Privacy usually doesn't have much argument, but piracy, <laughs> that, that certainly does. So uh, let's read it. Uh, when piracy gets too easy, expect a big response. Apps such as Popcorn Time and Android devices pre-configured for piracy allow complete novices to pirate movies, TV shows, and live sports with ease. This hasn't gone unnoticed by anti-piracy outfits, included fa- uh, including Fact and Brian, who informed Torrent Freak they plan to tackle the threat. After one and a half decades of mainstream file sharing, millions of people now have little trouble finding and consuming unauthorized content online. For many, the process is no more difficult than browsing the web, but due to its technical nature, the majority still find it bewildering. Then along came Popcorn Time, software that turned viewing movies into child's play for anyone with a PC, tablet, or phone. But the idea behind Popcorn Time isn't new. Advanced users of the popular Kodi software, previously known as XMBC, or XBMC, which we've talked about uh, on uh on Sovereign Tech, have been enjoying a supercharged popcorn time rival for many years. However, that largely requires the mastering of an often confusing third-party add-on system. Inevitably, of course, that became streamlined too. Just as popcorn time works out of the box, custom installations of Kodi do too. These installers make the previously complex setup process a breeze, and in doing so, introduces a whole new audience of novices to piracy, just like popcorn time has. Of course, the simplicity has gone unnoticed by anti-piracy outfits, uh, or hasn't gone unnoticed by anti-piracy outfits. Legal action against popcorn time was common in 2014 and continued in 2015. No surprise then that those peddling quote unquote pirate Cody variants, which have nothing to, or variants, which have nothing to do with the team behind the project are now getting more attention. The problem is, uh, the problem is availability and ease of use sold pre-configured in Android set top box, uh, form on both eBay and Amazon. The devices are essentially a one-stop shop for not only pirate movies and TV shows, but also a streaming hub for live sports and pay-per-view. Anyone can have one of these devices delivered next day and learn how to use it in under an hour. Oh, and they run Popcorn Time too, and Showbox. As a result, piracy has never been easier, and anti-piracy groups are scrambling to stem the tide. Just last week, a seller of quote-unquote pirate Android boxes was raided by police in the UK, and just days ago, Amazon overreacted by banning the entirely legal Kodi software itself, presumably after a copyright holder complaint. In fact, I did a whole write-up about that on the on the Zog blog, or maybe it was on the Dark Android blog. Anyway, at zog.ninja, you can find the blog um, about, you know, about Cody getting taken down uh, by Amazon. Other attacks, reading on, have been more targeted. Last year, the Federation Against Copyright Theft uh, filed a complaint against a popular live sports plugin for Cody known as Sports Devil. But according to fact, this, that's the federal 
or Federation Against Copyright Theft, fact. This was the beginning of their crackdown on these piracy platforms. Quote, those engaged in piracy have always been quick to take advantage of technological advances to create new methods to profit from delivering stolen content to a wider audience. The proliferation of IPTV and set-top boxes, which can stream content, is no exception. End quote. The anti-piracy group told Torrent Freak. Quote, we are working with our members and partners in law enforcement on addressing these threats and significant measures are being taken by all parties, including online marketplaces, to address the availability of these devices, as well as the apps and add-ons that facilitate illegal streams and bring those responsible to account, end quote. The custom, the quote, custom Cody, quote, end quote, epidemic hasn't gone unnoticed in the Netherlands either. Dutch anti-piracy group Brain is currently engaged in legal action against uh, Filmspieler.nl, a seller of, quote unquote, fully loaded, uh, a euphemism for piracy configured, (laughs) Android boxes. In fact, Breen is so serious about ending the problem that the case is being sent to the European Court of Justice so that an opinion can be gained on whether streaming from illegal sources represents a breach of EU law. If Breen wins, it won't end the problem, but it will draw a line in the sand in terms of how such products can be advertised and sold. Quote, we will always look at any system that is aimed at providing access to copyrighted content without consent of the right holders and by doing so is causing damage to the earning potential of right holders and licensed platforms, end quote. Breen Chief Tim Kuick uh, told Torrent Freak. Finally, since these devices are increasingly being targeted at the non-tech savvy, is it possible that buyers are naive to the point that they don't appreciate their dub- dubious legal standing? Kuick thinks not. Quote, we see that people using such systems tend to be aware they are getting access to unauthorized content, even if they don't know how it works technically, end quote. The big question now is what comes next and what will be the industry's response? That will become clear in the months and years to come. But rest assured, the easier piracy becomes, the more vigorous the response will be. So this is a, you know, a a very old debate. Uh, this is something that was talked about back in, you know, with cable boxes where people have, what were they called? Hot boxes? No, not a pussy. Okay. <laughs> I think they're called hot boxes, uh, where the, you know, you could, you could, uh, descramble the, the box that you would buy would have a descrambler in it that would let you see all of the, uh, pay channels, you know, like the spice network or the playboy channel, uh, or HBO or whatever. And, uh, that all, you know, the, the final solution for that was cable companies started putting filters you know, at their, where their lines came down. Okay. So, you know, it was outside of the house, you know, their filters weren't being put in the boxes anymore. Uh, they were being put in, you know, uh, externally. So this isn't new, but I think that, that there needs to be an appreciation of, you know, why people are so crazy about pushing quote unquote pirated content. And so some of this might not be new, Uh, to Sovereign Tech listeners, but I want to make some of it very clear. Uh, The first point really to bring up is that largely, I think this is not a response to people wanting something for free. Okay. Uh, This is a response to people wanting access or not wanting to get completely ripped off. The most common case to really bring up, you know, because the the first way that that piracy, uh, modern piracy, as we understand it, really started 
came from, you know, MP3s, you know, uh, Kazaa and all that other stuff. Right. And the, the problem, the problem that existed first off was that, you know, with, uh, okay, let, let's take a band. How about, all right, Nightwish. Here we go. Nightwish or, uh, Dragon Force, you know, a lot of these bands that aren't American, or at least they're not big in America and they're big elsewhere. Or you have the Japanese editions of albums that would come with extra tracks. Okay. All of which was, you know, a lot of that started with like the extra tracks thing on, on, you know, on, on foreign versions of the same albums that you could buy in the colonies or the United States. All of that started because what people would, you know, the record companies wouldn't release the album, like say Metallica's black album at the same time in, um, you know, um, uh, in Japan as they would in America. And so what could happen is, is that people would, you know, bootleggers or not necessarily bootleggers, but third parties, intermediaries would sell American copies of the albums to people overseas and they could get it for far cheaper than what it cost in their own country, you know, and they could get it sooner. So what the, you know, what the record industry started doing was releasing these, you know, special editions, you know, for, for other countries, you know, I mean, and this is, you know, Europe, Asia, all, all over the place that this was a, a very common practice. And now, the funny thing is, is that this, the sword didn't swing both ways because if you wanted the Japanese press pressing of, you know, Metallica's black album, the, you know, with the extra tracks on it, or maybe like Bon Jovi's have a nice day, kick-ass album. Uh, if you wanted that, you would end up paying two, three, four times the cost of what the album, uh, you know, what it would cost to buy the album here. Not because of the extra tracks, but just, uh, you know, however that all worked out, just the way that, that these online distributors or record stores, you know, would, would do business. You know, maybe it was the import fees or whatever. I'm not totally clear on that aspect of it. But, I mean, you really got ripped off. And so it wasn't a response. You know, a lot of this piracy and things like that, I don't think it really started as a response to, I want this shit for free. It started as, you wanted the content that you wanted, and the record company was ripping you the fuck off. Okay? One of the popular things in the 90s when CD burners came out and people started making custom mixes and stuff like that, that wasn't anything new. People did it with audio cassettes. Not not new at all. Okay? It just became a little more professional. And people started, you know, making a business out of it, selling these audio mixes on eBay or, or you know, wherever else online. Or you could just download the MP3s of this great mix and maybe people would charge for it. Um, you know, people, it wasn't like people weren't willing to pay for the music. It was because, you know, they wanted it their way. They were tired of the way that the music was getting forced down their throats by the record industry. So, you know, when these when these people start freaking out about, you know, popcorn time and any other way that these movies get distributed, look, if your business model sucks, which I would argue the bulk of the entertainment industry's business model really fucking sucks. You don't have the right to use legal means where, you know, or, you know, the law, I should say, not legal means. You don't have the right to use the law because to, to protect your business model. If your business model shit, the market should, you know, tear it down. So, yes, there's there's lots of people who are getting stuff for free. That that's for sure. 
Okay. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't think, you know, I think the, the, the natural human incentive is for people to show appreciation in whatever way they can to the person that brings them some kind of happiness and that being through their entertainment. That's, that's the reality, uh, you know, of where a lot of this comes from. Now, with that in mind, the fact that you are getting completely ripped off by the entertainment industry, by and large, raises the question, is downloading movies and not paying for it okay? Honestly, I'd largely say yes. I think it's a, it's a fine and dandy thing to do. Uh, you know, a lot of people have, you know, why is Netflix such a big deal right now? Because Netflix cracked the code, uh, proverbially. They figured out how to make convenience worth $7 a month. People will pay. You just got to give it to them the way they want it. And that's the thing. I mean, it's so funny. You look at all these conglomerates, even like, you know, a lot of the uh, a lot of the, the net neutrality stuff. So many times Netflix came up as, as the argument. I mean, like it's like the whole world is just against that company. And I'm not saying Netflix is any kind of good people. OK, but the whole world is against that company. Because it's destroying these business models that, you know, and let's be clear on this. Those business models have really only been around not even 100 years, maybe 100 years. That's not standard. That's not the way things should be done. Okay. A lot of people, you know, pine for the days and there's some truth to this, but they, they pine for the days of, of albums and, you know, when movies came on, on this and, and whatever, you know, those, those days weren't normal. I mean, maybe the record industry as it stands or the movie industry as it stands was a fluke. Like it, it wasn't even meant to, meant to work that way. That's what you got to consider. I mean, think about the fact like that people talk on the phone. Maybe talking on the phone isn't normal. It started off, you know, where people were just, you know, sending Morse code, sending, you know, little little telegrams and everything, uh, you know, text messages effectively. OK, and then the talkies came around. But then once text messaging became possible again, that became the norm. That became the way to talk to people. You got to get it. You got to understand that things that some people, you know, because you look back on it with some kind of limelight that somehow that that was normal and like maybe even like you know, paying for a movie ticket or buying a movie on Blu-ray or whatever else the case may be, that somehow all that's normal, man, none of this stuff has been around. I mean, a hundred years isn't, isn't even a blink of an eye in the history of humankind. It's not even a blink of an eye. There is no normal for any of this. Maybe all the ways that we remember things being done, despite what any kind of good came out of it. You know, Michael Jackson, I mean, I am so happy that the albums that came out for him have come out. Okay, you know, all the, or whatever movie, Star Wars, you take your pick. You know, it's great that all that stuff came out of this. Okay, but maybe, maybe the, the market signals were so fucking skewed at the time and that that's not the way to do business. Maybe we could have had things that were 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times better. In fact, you know, I mentioned the Michael Jackson thing. That guy has written so much music. He's been so dead for so long, sadly. Okay, but so much music. And on Torrance, you can actually get a lot of those demos. You don't have to wait for Sony to milk that poor man for everything he's worth already after he's dead. And it's a beautiful thing to get your hands on that. And, you know, as far as as, as far as uh, musicians go, they've never made any money off of the off of record sales. They've ne it's always been the concerts and concerts are something that, 
just, you know, even if you periscoped it, you know, on Twitter or whatever, it's still, you know, you've got to go to a metal show to get the feeling of a goddamn metal show. People will always pay for great experiences, but that's the thing. They'll pay for experiences. There's something to owning things, too, certainly. And having, you know, getting rid of DRM and a lot of these models, these gatekeepers like record companies and the, you know, the entertainment industry in general allows you to really own things. Otherwise, frankly, right now, you don't own shit. You don't. Only when you get away from, you know, these DRM, you know, from DRM and from these gatekeepers of entertainment, can you actually own anything? Piracy is a fine damn thing. And if you want to give people money, find another way, you know, for what they've created, you can find other ways to do it. I'll be back with more. It is the year 91,001 BCE. Witness humanity's origins in Hypercronius, a classic role-playing game for Windows PCs with a story like no other game before. The liberty-oriented experience that is not to be missed. Go to zog.ninja to get your copy of Hypercronius today. Use the code SVT to get $1 off. Hypercronius, zog.ninja, code SVT. Thank you for the exclusive, Mr. Sovereign. Please, Jane. It'll be our pleasure. Tea? Oh, thank you. I must say, for an anarchist, you're not what I expected. I'll assume that's a compliment. It is. Uh, is it true what they say about you? That you're a godless hedonist, bent on ending governments and conservative values? All true. But, but... What about supporting the troops? Marriage, white picket fences, and apple pie? (laughs) Come on, Jane. I love pie. As far as everything else, it's all just here to keep you from being happy. Wouldn't you rather be traveling the world, fucking every day, not worrying about what other people think? Uh, Oh, my, Mr. Sovereign. Come to think of it, I never felt like I fit into the system very well. I always wondered what it's like to be with an anarchist. Well, here's your chance to roll the roulette wheel and find out. Tech Roulette. It is time for Tech Roulette, where I cover the stories that uh, get sent in to me through the various channels available. Of course, uh, just go to SovereignTech.Ninja or ZOG.Ninja, and uh, ZOG standing for Zomia Offline Games, not Zionist Occupied Government. Did I do that on purpose? You bet your ass. Uh, but you can go there and there's plenty of ways to get in touch with the show. Um, and, you know, before I get into uh, this week's uh, or this week's tech roulette, and we've got a doozy. I've actually previewed it in the past. Um, I, a couple points I want to make. One point I want to make is that, you know, there, I was listening to a really old episode of Security Now, and Steve Gibson, who's the host of that and kind of a personal hero of mine that I've had the honor of conversing with here and there, uh, he made a great point saying that you cannot, you know, to enforce copyright, which is effectively what these companies are doing, to enforce copyright. You cannot have free speech because enforcing copyright requires across the board monitoring of, you know, all communications. So keep that in mind is that, you know, this any of these tricks that you want to come up with to somehow make sure people get paid for what they do or for their content 
is actually antithetical to freedom itself, because if people can't speak openly where communications are not being being monitored, they don't really have free speech. This is a very key point to consider, and it, it I think in very simple terms, it tears down the entire notion of copyright and DRM and all of that. And it makes, honestly, in many ways, it makes piracy a form of fucking activism. So you go right ahead and download that stuff. And if you want to give somebody money for it, believe me, there's ways to do it to where it gets directly to them. Patreon, all those. I have a Patreon account. You can, you know, I mean, there's a support us tab at zog.ninja. You know, I don't really charge for much of anything. So and anyway, that, you know, that's something. The second thing I want to just, just bring up quick is that actually <laughs> this is kind of cool. I am kind of streaming this episode right now because the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy is uh, playing with her plants around the house <laughs> and she wanted to still she loves to sit in on the show and you know and experience it live and so she is actually listening to it streamed right now from my phone which is where you know i'm reading any of the stories uh that i that i have you know that that i that i cover so and you know she made a great point too and we'll actually we're going to talk about this a little bit more later on but she made a great point she ran up the stairs and said to me you know brian at a metal show, because we were talking about, you know, going to a metal show to get that experience. Even there, you don't really get the experience anymore. And I think that's very true. And we're going to explore that during HackSec this week. Uh, I think it's a really interesting uh, subject to cover. So, but of course, lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy is always, uh, she's really the queen of insights uh, and always has been for years. <laughs> so anyway, uh, let's get into this week's story. And it's from Extreme Tech. U.S. Special Forces are testing insect-sized reconnaissance drones. Since March, U.S. Army Special Forces have been testing black hornets, lightweight reconnaissance, that's what they're called, black hornets, lightweight reconnaissance drones from Prox Dynamics that are small enough to fit in your pocket. Each black hornet PD-100 is, God, it sounds like a Terminator, is a micro unmanned aerial vehicle that weighs just 0.6 ounces and measures only four by one inches. Three onboard cameras provide full motion video and still images to the operator. The camera array contains a thermal imaging camera for night missions. The Black Hornet has a range of just over a mile and can remain in the air for up to 25 minutes per flight. The device is designed to operate quietly and can navigate in winds up to 20 miles per hour. You can watch video live on the base unit, and the video is also stored uh, on a SSD drive there. No video is stored on the drone itself, which means that if captured, enemies cannot see what the reconnaissance drone has viewed. The Black Hornet is controlled by a handheld controller reminiscent of a video game controller. It can hover in place or pan and tilt for precise image angles. The drone controller and base unit are uh, all contained in a case that attaches to the soldier's uniform. Inspecting cases, uh, inspecting case that, or sorry, reading on the base unit, which contains the display provides a network connection to remote PCs and peripherals. You use the base unit to plan missions and analyze data built in GPS autopilot mode allows the drone to operate on its own or return to base. If the operator loses control or the signal is lost, you can program the PD 100 to follow predefined routes or built in search patterns automatically now there's more of this and of course you can go to to sovereigntech.ninja and read the show notes um, about it to find out more but i want to get you know get into talking about this um, because this is something you know i've talked about it a few times like on snopes 
where I had, you know, I'd said, look, you can go to Snopes. I talked about mosquito drones because we said, boy, can anything really be private? Can you actually have security? Can you actually have anonymity? And I said, well, you know, there's this thing called a mosquito drone, which is, you know, a drone the size of, a, you know, about the size of a mosquito that uh, has a camera on it. And I said, the problem there is that really whenever you have a camera, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter how much encryption you use. If someone's got a picture of you, you're kind of fucked. Okay. And the problem was is that this mosquito drone, even on Snopes and Snopes.com, you know, is the website where you go to find out whether something is, you know, whether some urban legend is just that a legend or if it's true, it was the, the result was inconclusive at the time. And this has been for years that I've talked about it. Okay. Because they couldn't deny that these things were being either a developed or that they existed. The, there was evidence to say both. So as to where normally it's always just like, Oh, yep, this is true. Or Nope. It's totally false. It, the answer was inconclusive. And now I should say the answer is the most certain. Yes, there are mosquito drones. That's effectively what this black Hornet is. Okay. And it is a security nightmare is a privacy and a security nightmare. Okay. You know, special forces or whoever else they don't have to hack into servers they don't have to uh you know put malware on your computer okay now all they have to do is just watch you type in you know what your your password or whatever else you know if they're if they're tracking you you're on it and i've said this many times this isn't anything new i've said that look if the nsa is really targeting you and you alone you forget it there's nothing, you know, there's really not much you can do. You're, you are going to have to literally run to the hills. You will not be interacting with civilization any longer. Okay. Now this isn't meant to be depressing. This is just meant to, you know, show you some awareness or, you know, to bring awareness to you about the whole matter. Now, the other interesting thing is that I think this highlights, in my opinion, anyway, the reality of a lot of the cool consumer technology that you use. Uh, one of the things that would make a black Hornet uh, very capable and, you know, and, and yes, it has limited battery life, obviously, and has limited flight times and all that. Of course, those things are just going to get better, uh, you know, but right now it is limited and that's, that's a comforting thought. But, you know, something I noticed, I talked about Jurassic world last week uh, and I actually put up a review for it on, uh, on my website and people really seem to enjoy that. Um, but it was a great movie. But one of the things that, that actually I didn't get to in the review on the show or on the website was that there was a point where the special forces team is going out. I'm not giving away a spoiler here. And they are wearing a smartwatch upside down. And while they're holding a rifle, they are seeing, you know, they're, they're getting a view from the front, like, you know, a, a, an enhanced view where it has, uh, you know, thermal readings and all this other stuff from something that is mounted onto their rifles. And I said, there it is. As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, no shit. Okay, now I understand what the push is for smartwatches. And that is, you know, I think a lot of the consumer technology that gets pushed on people is really just a large, you know, we were talking about beta testing earlier in the show for, you know, with, with like early access and all that stuff and all kinds of software that really a lot of these like, you know, Android Wear and Apple Watch and even mobile devices and all that, you're a part, there's the chance. I'm not saying this is 100% so because I, I can't necessarily prove it that much. Okay, but here's a theory is that you are actually part of a gigantic beta program for future military technology with all of these things you're using. How, how 
you know, can uh, can the Black Hornet get to its target in a very quick, you know, how could it follow its target? Well, a nice, easy way to follow the target is for you to be constantly blasting up a goddamn SIM card uh, signal from your back pocket or your purse. Makes it very easy for this to track, you know, to, to keep an eye on, you know, uh, on whatever the target may be. Our smartwatches all about, you know, or, you know, Google Glass, Google Glass would be a great thing uh, for a person that's operating the Black Hornet, because then it's the eye in the sky. Right. And I think I think, you know, I can't help but feel that way, that maybe a lot of this stuff, you know, laptop computers, that's a very different story. The PC revolution is very, very real. okay but in large part, the mobile revolution may be more about you know, society at large being a test bed for future military technologies as compared to something that somehow makes your life easier. Because come on, folks, you can't tell me that having that smartphone or whatever else is giving you more time in your life. I think that's a load of shit. Okay. And I, and I know this is true because you take something that, well, fortunately, as far as I know, isn't used for military technology, a dishwasher. Well, of course, now, you know, with uh, IOT, with the Internet of Targets, now your dishwasher is just a spy machine. OK, but, you know, a dishwasher, people say, oh, this will save you tons of time. That's funny. I don't see anybody really getting more time because they have a dishwasher. They seem to just find some other way to completely occupy themselves with more work instead of more relaxing time. OK, so I don't really buy that all these I mean, half these startups that come out, uh, I mean, it's just nonsense, the stuff that they're coming out with. We'll ship you fresh, you know, fresh packs of underwear every week. What? Why the fuck am I even wearing underwear? So, yeah, I think this is this is something to really consider. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just saying, you know, let's have some perspective. Let's consider the possibility that smartwatches, you know, all of this stuff is all designed to enhance domination culture itself. And the military arm of domination culture is just that the military. And it's it's amazing when you finally see how they can use this sort of thing. Like in Jurassic Park. Anyway, Black Hornet, keep your eyes out. Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. I've asked hundreds of women who have taken my sex survey to describe the part of their body that they wished a lover would spend more time kissing and caressing other than between their legs. By far, the most common answer is their neck or the nape of the neck where it meets their shoulders. Clearly, the vampires among us have been getting it right, and in the past generations when couples would steam up the car windows with a two-hour make-out session, it was commonly called necking. Now, for most people, the neck is an erogenous zone, which means that stimulating the nerves in that area are likely to result in sexual arousal. So having your neck kissed and caressed can feel erotic for both women and men. Now, this means if you can get the necking part of lovemaking right, you're likely to find a welcome reception when your lips and fingers work their way farther south. But I'd always ask a partner if she or he likes to be kissed on the neck, and if so, to explore which ways feel best. Unfortunately, necking has the potential for leaving hickeys, which can be great fun to create, but not so great to wear to work or to breakfast when you're still living at home with your mom and dad. 
So on our website at 90secondsonsex.com, I've included instructions for how to cover up hickeys with makeup, which requires more skill than you might think. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. Oh, ah, oh, that was, I'm speechless. Oh, if I'm leaving a reporter speechless, I must be doing things right. Oh. <gasps> Natalia, what's going on? Agent Sovereign, read this. Then meet me at the Central HQ. I have to go. What was that? And why would someone give you something on paper these days? Because it's something that is too important to risk sending digitally. As for what the message says, it looks like I've been doing things wrong. Important Messages It is time for Important Messages, where I cover the emails that get sent to me through the various channels available. Of course, you can go to SovereignTech.Ninja or ZOG.Ninja. Again, that website all goes to the same place the hub for everything that I do. Uh, you can go there and there's the contact us tab and there's a ton of ways to get in touch with the show. Uh, there's bit message. You can send me, if you want to send an encrypted email, my PGP key uh, or the link to my PGP key anyway is there. Uh, there's, there's a form right there that you don't even have to, you don't have to log in or anything. You don't even have to send me an email. You can just do it all through that little form. Uh, and you don't have to give me any information uh, unless you, you know, you want to. Uh, and then there's also, I mean, there's just, there's tons, there's telegram, whole, whole slew of shit. So anyway, I've got quite a few. I actually want to get through. Uh, I'm getting kind of backlogged in my, uh, in my listener emails. So I want, I want to try and run through these as quickly as I can here. And the first one, um, was someone, it was a very short email and it was effectively saying, uh, you know, golden stallion, why do you call the U S the colonies, you should be fucking calling it the empire. That's about the way it was put, uh, you know, and, and, and the person's point was that, uh, you know, if you call it the colonies, it makes it sound like it's, you know, David as compared to the Goliath that it, that it actually is. Uh, and so I understand the point. Okay. That, you know, it should be called empire. And there's certainly times where I will call America an empire and it literally is, uh, an empire. Okay. Because, as it was a Princeton study, um, I remember mentioning this many times on Free Talk when I was on Free Talk Live uh, in years past. Um, but according to a Princeton study, I believe it was, or maybe it was Stanford, but it was they said that they they concluded that the United States was not a democracy, nor was it a republic. It was an oligarchy, and an oligarchy with satellite bases, by definition, by dictionary definition, is an empire. Okay, so there is so if you call America an empire by the dictionary, you are 100 percent correct. So I have no problem with calling America an empire. Uh, The reason I call it the colonies is that it's kind of a funny jab at uh, at the United States that a lot of like British musicians and British people in general will often say like like you'll hear David Coverdale from Whitesnake. I love Whitesnake. Uh, Anyway, he'll he will say to you, uh, you know, he'll call. It's like, oh yeah, you're back in the colonies there. You know, I mean, he'll, he'll, you know, he'll he'll do that, okay. And so that's where I get that from. Is it's kind of this jab, but also the point that uh, you know, this is one of the few areas where I will agree with a lot of the writers at the Mises Institute. I think it was Leland B. Yeager who originally theorized it, even though some people want to give the credit to Hoppe uh, for some reason. But it was, uh, I think, it was like chapter twenty-six of uh, "Is the Market a Test of Truth and Beauty." which is a really great book it's from the seventies, but 
Anyway, in that, Leland B. Yeager made the case that you are actually more free under a monarchy, uh, you know, or that that Americans would be more free under a monarchy. I've heard some other people say it again recently, too. I said it long ago on Sovereign Tech and obviously, you know, said many times before by, you know, while I was in diapers, not even in diapers before I was even, a, you know, a fetus. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, so that that's that's kind of the the idea is this jab at, at the at at the United States and that its notion of freedom is positively, you know, ridiculous. Uh, so that's that's what it's all about uh, as far as calling it you know, the, the colonies. Um, but yes, it most certainly is an empire and I, you know, make no bones, uh, you know, about, uh, my distaste for the government, uh, you know, of this country, uh, you know, as far as America itself. And in fact, maybe this, this can, uh, this can actually dovetail in to my, the next question, um, that I have, uh, there's, there's some truth to, I think that a land, a land mass, a geography, uh, a bioregion, you know, take your pick of the term, uh, can, you know, it's the nature versus nurture, uh, you know, can really affect, uh, a person's, you know, thinking process. Okay. And in that respect, you know, America, you know, the United States, North America, whatever can be a very beautiful thing because I think it did foster in a very real way, uh, more so than maybe anywhere else, a sense of individualism which is so key and which may have allowed for so much technological advancement is the sense uh, of individualism and how this dovetails into what I'm talking about. Okay. Again, and when I said America is, you know, I'm just talking about the geography. I'm not talking about even necessarily maybe the, you know, the bulk of the people, uh, you know, or, or certain, certainly not government. I'm an anarchist, obviously. Okay. But, you know, I have mentioned in the past that I am open to alternative economies. Okay. And so, and a lot of people ask, so, you know, what do you mean by that? What are you talking about? Are you supporting communism? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not saying I support anything like that. Okay. I'm just saying that I am open to a allowing people to do that. You're not, not necessarily communism, but something, you know, other th things other than capitalism, maybe gift economies or something like that. I've talked about them before. Okay. And people want to say, oh, that shit doesn't work. Well, I raised historical cases like the Incas to show that no, for some, to some degree, some of these things did work. I'm not saying that's what I want. I'm just telling you that I am open to those and I am not so quick to critique uh, these other things. And, you know, when you bring in the, the, the topic of geography, this raises the question is that, you know, there's, there's been recent studies that compare two, two different types um, of, of cultures. One is, is the culture that grows or the culture slash geography that grows wheat. And the other is the one that grows rice. And this is interesting because it really makes a full on comment about Western culture versus uh, Eastern culture. And that is that Western culture, uh, you know, was is largely based around wheat and wheat is something that one person can grow like, like, like the, you can, you can kind of farm it on your own. I mean, yes, you have to get animals and all, you know, all that stuff, you know, to really like make it happen. But, you know, a single farmer, perhaps with, you know, maybe, maybe a son or, you know, whatever, you know, family, however, all that necessarily works out, uh, can do it. And so it's a very individual, uh, crop. Okay. It can be farmed. It can be harvested by individuals. Now you take rice and it's a very different story. Rice requires a community. 
It requires interaction. It requires a lot of people to really make rice a viable food source. Okay, for, you know, for, uh, you know, a geographic area. And so the study kind of goes, I mean, and it's, it's just a study. It's, it, it could be wrong, but it goes that that can explain, uh, you know, the different attitudes of perhaps, you know, Eastern cultures or Asian cultures as compared to Western cultures that, that favor a lot of individualism as to where maybe, you know, Eastern cultures aren't so individualistic and that that can come from the food itself, because what's more important than food? Not much. And so that, you know, that that's kind of the theory around that. So now if a group of people, you know, are, are used to harvesting rice, you know, they think about, uh, you know, human interaction, I perhaps in a very different way, in a way that may not be even market based. It may not be capitalist. It may not be, you know, all kinds of things. It may be very, very different, you know, it, it, just from from the, uh, you know, the uh, the environment around them. So I'm open to that, but people don't want to consider that. They just, they want to, you know, this one rule, uh, to rule them all, <laughs> you know, they like everybody, it's all, it's one size fits all the market's good for everybody, or this is good for everybody and all this stuff. Maybe not. I'm not saying that that's how I feel about it or that that's what I want. I'm just saying that there's the possibility that people have grown. I mean, down to the point of like the way that they, that they completely interact, you know, they act, they, they interact completely differently with other people. Uh, that is fundamentally different from your understanding of what the human condition is. Yes, of course, there are only individuals. There are no such thing as groups. That's very, very true. But the conditions under which individuals interact with each other can be vastly different. You know, a lot of cultures, this is an interesting thing. A lot of cultures uh, have words. They have very specific words. One word, you know, it's, 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 it's one word. It's not a combination, okay, where it's referencing the things that are said that aren't actually spoken, but that are being said by the condition, by the surrounding, by everything that's going on around them. The English language and most Germanic languages don't have a word for that. In fact, the best thing we often use is body language, which is a combination of two words. One is a descriptor for what is being done as compared to it just being a flat uh, act or a flat, a flat fact of communication in these other cultures. Okay. Does that stem from, you know, the, the from rice, you know, from essentially, you know, uh, harvesting rice, maybe, so there, there could be very different ways that humans interact. And people, I, th I think it's in their best interest to be aware of that, that the way you think is not the best for everybody. I would like to think that a full-on, you know, anarchist world, as it were, uh, would have tons of different ideologies all over the place. It wouldn't just be one. So that's my point when I say I'm open to alternative economies, because I don't think everybody thinks the same, even at the market level. OK, and I'm not knocking the market. OK, I, I would certainly not capitalism, but I'm not knocking the market. <laughs> All right.
Uh, I, I'm just laying it out as is. Okay, I, I've got more questions I want to get to. I think I spent too much time on that. Um, best headphones. Somebody asked me, what do they think are the best headphones? Obviously, people listen to podcasts. Uh, you're listening to this podcast, and so what's the best thing for yours or whatever? Uh, my personal favorite headphones are the uh, Creative makes them. This is the same guys that you know made Sound Blaster still do. Uh, they're called the Arvana Air. I put a link in the show notes. Uh, so you can find them. They're like $65. They are no longer, as far as I know, creative no longer makes them and they've stopped making them a long time ago. Okay. So if you can get your hands on them, you want to do that now. <laughs> uh, I've, I, I got them on sale a, a while back, but you know, I, I wouldn't wait for a sale is my point in telling you that, uh, to get these, but they're great. They're certainly worth that money. Uh, they are mostly made of metal. And the thing I like about them is that you know, because most people want these in-ear headphones, like where like something literally gets jabbed into your ear. I I don't like that. Uh, so, you know, the, your question or the question was was kind of kind of broad. So I'm just describing to you what my favorite is. You know, I mean, maybe you meant like an over-the-ear headphone. In that case, Razer makes the best ones. Um, but what I like are the ones that kind of like sit you know, in your ear and they have that hook loop. So that say when you're running or you're working out or whatever, uh, it doesn't fall out. That was my initial concern. My initial problem with these in at or in ear, uh, headphones, your earplugs as they're called was that they just keep falling out on me. Um, and so I used, there used to be this pair of like $20 Sony's that I used to wear that were really great. They, they'd never fall out of my ear. Uh, but anyway, these creative Arvanas, they, they have, you know, great range, um, and they're small. They're just, I mean, you know, it's still, uh, uh, you know, an earphone. It's not a headphone. Uh, but, I mean, they're never going to fall off on you. And they didn't get great quality. Uh, they have a very nice carrying case that even comes with it and all that. Um, I love them. So the Arvana Air, uh, get a pair now if, if you want. I The other thing, I just, I don't know, something feels really strange about just like jabbing an earplug into my ear. And I don't like the fact that you lose. So the Arvana Airs admittedly won't work very well on an airplane. Okay. Or you're going to have to like turn it way, way up. But the, you know, with the earplugs, like you lose your perception, you know, your like your perceptional hearing of what's going on around you. I don't like that. Uh, either I, you know, I want to be able to react and, and know what's going on around me. So anyway, Arvana Eris, there you go. Uh, let's see thoughts on E3. Uh, I guess just overall, my thoughts on E3 was that it really seemed to be all very cross platform and generally I like E3, of course, is the gaming, uh, conference that, that was held. Uh, there was a, I was glad to see that there was a lot of love for PC gaming. That was really great. Like, uh, no man's sky is coming out for PC, not just for PlayStation four. I thought that was really exciting, but here's kind of the irony is that with the, the cross platform that, that seemed to be sort of the, the theme of a lot of, um, and there was great virtual reality stuff too, but that seemed to be the theme of E3. With the cross-platform, I feel like no one's really concentrating on their own thing. And this is the thing I love about Nintendo, and I've always loved about Nintendo, is they just, they never paid attention to the competition. They just didn't bother. And even when they were doing things that, that the market would say is nuts, you know, they just kept on going. And at certain points, you know, they would come up with this ingenious stuff. And even Nintendo seemed to be kind of cross-platform. Uh, so I was a little annoyed by by that whole attitude, um, because I think you lose something special when people don't want to concentrate on the on the differences that exist within, you know, different different ecosystems. 
I think that's really important to, you know, play up differences. And I don't, I, I don't know. I just didn't feel that that was, uh, that that was necessarily there. And of course I talked to, I mean, some of the games coming out are phenomenal. I can't wait for them. Okay. But I'm just, I'm just saying that, that yeah, I, overall, I didn't get like the best vibe from E3 other than I like the fact that PC gaming was getting taken uh, very, very seriously. So next, the last question I want to get to is, this is something uh, somebody emailed me. Hopefully I can get to all this. Uh, Star Wars Despecialized. So Star Wars, it's a good time to talk about it because actually tonight, if you're listening to it on uh, on Saturday, uh, June 20th. <laughs> so if you're listening to it, uh, Rebels, the, the, the Star Wars uh, CGI uh, show, that's in is its second season starts tonight and its first season was fantastic. I, I really, really liked it. Um, and so the second season starts tonight. So it's a great time to talk about star Wars, uh, right now. And somebody sent me a link, you know, have you checked out these star Wars despecialized editions? Because for those that don't know, star Wars has been like stuff has been added to star Wars by George Lucas, uh, ever since 1997, like he would put in, like when the special editions came out, he'd put in deleted scenes or he'd even like add in like new lines of dialogue, like with the Blu-ray editions where Darth Vader like says, no, you know, now and all this stuff, <laughs> you know, when he's, when he's killing the emperor, um, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's done this a lot and it's been, sometimes it's small, sometimes it's a huge change. And so somebody really took the time to bring the quality of the films, you know, uh, like the, the improved, uh, not necessarily improved effects, but just the overall quality has, has really upped them, but made it to where you're still seeing the original uh, editions of the movies from when they originally came out. And of course this is the original trilogy, like 19, you know, the original came out in 1977, 1980 and uh, 1983 respectively for the trilogy. And so it was really great. I, you know, I agree. The emailer said that they, they love the fact that somebody really took the time to create these despecialized versions where they look great on a modern, you know, 1080p or higher television, but then they still, you know, but they, they keep true to the original content. Uh, and you know, it's missing all of that special, you know, all the special edition stuff. Um, I, you know, I'm glad those exist too. And certainly, you know, my only real problem with the special editions is the same that everybody has an issue with the Han shooting first. Okay. That that's crazy. That Greedo shoots now, uh, Disney would be well put to, <laughs> you know, to, to fix that maybe at some point. Um, but as far as, you know, with these, the special editions, you know, I really, I don't, I don't mind it. Uh, first off, I was always happy that it would, you know, that they came out in theaters again for me to see because I was born in 81. So I didn't really get to experience any of the original Star Wars films in theaters. So the special editions was kind of an excuse to see Star Wars on the big screen. So it holds a special place in my heart uh, for that alone. But, uh, you know, overall, I, I think it's all fine. I think a lot of the changes have been really, really cool. Uh, I've really enjoyed them. Uh, I think it can get, it can go too far. There is a point where you need to stop. And I think really other than maybe the Han shot first thing, the Blu-ray editions need to be where that fucking stops. And as far as I understand it with the recent uh, release of the, uh, the, the digital re-release of the star Wars movies, uh, they did not make any further uh, changes at that point. But you know, I'll tell you what's really annoying to me. 
And that is, is that those, those digital re-releases that are available like on iTunes, on Google Play and others. Okay. Now these costs to buy them, it costs $90. Here's the funny thing. You can't, unless iTunes allows you to do this. And I haven't seen it at speaking of torrent sites. I haven't seen it on any torrent sites either yet. You can't download because they, you know, you can't download them because you, they released like whole new making specials and all that stuff, which I think are very exciting to see. I love that sort of stuff, especially with movies like Star Wars, like the, you know, like the Star Wars saga. Um, you cannot own your copy of that. You'll hash out $90 and all you can ever do is either watch it offline on a Google approved device or, you know, or watch it in the cloud or with Amazon, watch it in the cloud. Maybe iTunes lets you download the MP4 or an MOV of it, but I can't confirm that that's so. And I've tried to find out and I don't know, no, no one's talking. Uh, so I'm really annoyed by that. That's way more concerning to me uh, than having, you know, special editions and all this stuff. And I really just want the making specials. I mean, they did, like I said, they didn't make any changes as far as I know, uh, you know, to these, to these, uh, to this digital re-release versions of them. Um, but this, this highlights, you know, I mean, yeah, $90 for a set of movies, that's not cheap. I mean, this is really the entertainment industry ripping you off, especially if you can't own a copy of any of this stuff. That's bullshit. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, but with the despecialized editions, you know, again, yeah, I'm, I'm glad they're out there just like I enjoy. I have a, the, uh, I have an old rip of the star Wars anthology, which was the original versions of the soundtracks. I love listening to Lafty neck. All of that stuff is, is really great, but largely, yeah, make the changes. That's fine. Just like with the new Canon, like they've completely redone, uh, you know, the canonicity of star Wars and frankly, they're doing a great Disney's doing a hell of a job as much as I hate Disney. I'll be back with more. Are you sick of government lackeys who say you didn't build that? Are you tired of elitists like Barack Obama and Al Gore taking credit for the web while trying to take over the web? Are you disgusted by experts whose concept of the internet is that it's a series of tubes? Take back the free market of computing by encouraging software developers to adopt the BIPCOT no gov license. The BIPCOT no gov license allows any use or modification except by governments. Go to BIPCOT.org. That's Bravo, India, Papa, Charlie, Oscar, Tango, dot org. Jane and Natalia, come on. They're right behind us. They can't just jump off this building. No, but with a little help I called on. Hello, Agent Sovereign. The jetpacks you requested? Right on time, Elizabeth. I am not flying with one of those. I'll hold you, Jane. Relax. Tech is just a tool. Tool of the Week. It is time for Tool of the Week, where I cover a product or something or, you know, website, uh, app, uh, really anything that I find either useful or that I want to warn you about. And uh, this week, this is really going to be up to you. Uh, everybody's threshold and taste will be different. Uh, but a couple of uh, apps came out on the same day this week, and they both kind of do the same thing, but then they both have their own little, you know, uh, differences. So it's BitTorrent Shoot, and the other is Push Bullet Portal. 
Now, BitTorrent shoot, uh, and again, neither of these, as I understand it, are open source. Keep that in mind right out of the gate. Okay, but BitTorrent shoot does what I think a lot of people wanted Android Beam to be able to do, where you could transfer a huge file just by like maybe scanning a QR code or just by tapping phones. Uh, you, you know, to each other. And then it could, you know, you could send a movie or who knows what. Uh, though, like we said, you might not be able to send movies much longer. So BitTorrent Shoot allows for you to do that. Now, it, it, you get three shoots, as they call them, for free when you when you first install it. And then you have to pay $1.99 and then you can use it pretty much infinitely. Um, this is not, you know, whatever claims they have about encryption or security with it. Again, it's not open source. So all of that is up to conjecture. Uh, but it is going to get sent up to servers, as I understand. Ironically, BitTorrent, or not, not to servers, but it's not being done literally phone to phone. You know, it is going through a third party. Okay. And so BitTorrent Shoot is, is pretty cool for what it is. Push Bullet Portal kind of does the same thing, but it's more, it's not meant for, uh, you know, like phone to phone, like BitTorrent Shoot is. It's meant to quickly send files from your computer to your phone or vice versa. And you can kind of already do this with push bullet. Now push bullet. If somebody feels that push bullet is like this major, major daps concern, you know, major security and privacy concern. I understand. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I, you know, I really do get it because it's amazing how much push bullet can do, you know, with your phone and which and allows you to interact with your laptop. This is just another version of that. Uh, portal, it allows you to like scan a QR code and then that connects the two devices. And I think the two devices with portal, this isn't true for shoot, but they have to be on the same Wi-Fi network. So it's a far more local, uh, affair. It's interesting. I like the, the use of QR codes in it. Uh, I, you know, for what it is, if you use push bullet already, portal might be something interesting, but admittedly you can sort of already do what portal does with push bullet itself. Um, just maybe this would be easier if, you know, you're on Wi-Fi, I guess, or if it's someone else's, you know, phone that, 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 that would be the real, the real key for that. So you can check them out. They're interesting. Be wary. Of course, uh, you know, they're not, again, they're not open source, not on f So they don't pass the dark Android test. Uh, but maybe you think they're useful. I mean, I find push bullet useful, not with anything I want to keep secure. But in my business, yeah, very useful. I'll be back with more. Hey, this is Michael Dean from the Freedom Fiends Radio Show. I've been working with computer programmer Derek Slopey to create Fiend Phone. I'm using Fiend Phone right now to talk with and record one of my co-hosts in real time. Take it, Davi. Hey, this is Davi Barker, and I'm a thousand miles away from Michael, but we sound like we're in the same room. We sure do, Davi. So, Davi, please tell the nice people more about Fiend Phone. FiendPhone is free, open-source software that opens up a global world of possibilities for collaborative, high-quality remote voice media production, and I'm digging it. People can try the Windows beta version of FiendPhone right now at FiendPhone.com. But we're also raising money to vastly improve FiendPhone and vastly improve independent talk media worldwide. So go to FiendPhone.com to help out. Who will build the audio roads? We will, with your help. That's FiendPhone.com. F-E-E-N-P-H-O-N-E dot com. Foxtrot, Echo, Echo, November, phone dot com. Fiend phone. I never knew remote audio could be this good. This is James Smith. 
formerly of WASP News, now an anarchist. And I want to introduce you to Brian Sovereign, former agent of... I have little time. You need to know what's going on. The government is lying to you. Corporations are lying to you. Even is lying to you. They're trying to centralize everything. Trust yourselves. Your computer is your only country. Coexist and learn all that you can. Hack the planet! Hack It is time for HackSec, where we cover issues of hackers and security. And of course, on this show, hackers are heroes. And if you're engaging in a malicious act, there's another word for you, and that's crackers. And I ain't talking about white people. Woo! All right. Uh, I had mentioned earlier that we would be talking uh, kind of ironically about concerts. And you may be wondering what that has, what that could possibly do with issues of hacking and security. Well, let's get into it. Uh, This is a story from The Register, and it's Cops Turn Download Festival into an Orwellian Spy Paradise. Reading on. As if being ankle deep in a muddy field, surrounded by pretend hippies seemingly reenacting highlights of the Battle of Waterloo was bad enough, attendees of the aptly named Download Festival will be subjected to a new police facial recognition system and surveillance of their on-site location and expenditure via the debut of RFID wristbands. Okay, I want to break this down real quick, Stallion here. RFID is Radio Frequency Identification. Okay, uh, that's that's what that means. It's just a little chip. I mean, they put them in all kinds of things, even like razors have RFID chips. They're put them into it's in your passport. I mean, these things are kind of all over the place. Uh, And yeah, they're they're not overall, in my opinion, they're not a good idea. Okay, the download festival itself. This is sort of a. You know, it's it's a kind of a music festival along with other things. Uh, lots of lots of bands will will play there, uh, even older bands and new bands. You know, all, all kinds. So this is you know it's very much kind of a metal show, uh, sort of like we were referencing earlier. Reading on, uh, the surveillance technologies are a new facial recognition system being rolled out by Lake Cheshireshire Police and Downloads own RFID wristbands provided by German RFID specialist UChip. Leicestershire Police, boy, I hope I'm saying that right, have been tri- uh, trialing NEC Corporation's NeoFace facial recognition system since April 2014, though they only announced the trial in July of that year and seem to have been de- uh, delighted with its results to date. NeoFace has compared facial images captured by CCTV and IPTV recordings with facial images stored in Leicestershire's local custody database. NEC, however, advertises its NeoFace tech as being able to offer much more in biometric surveillance, and while the particular system to be used at Download, that's the Download Festival, has not been revealed, it may also be part of the company's suite. NeoFace Watch is uh, the mobile surveillance platform from NeoFace Suite, which functions by, quote, interact, integrating face matching technology with video surveillance input while checking individuals against known photographic watch lists and producing real time alerts, end quote, according to a product brochure. An interview with D.C. Kevin Walker published in Police Oracle on Monday revealed that, quote, strategically placed 
cameras will scan faces at the download festival site in Donington before comparing them with a database of custody images from across Europe, end quote. The register has been told that the database of, quote, lawfully held European custody photos is a standalone database of legally held custody photographs drawn together with partners in Europol, end quote. In response to a Freedom of Information request, the register filed to Leicestershire Police in April asking whether Neoface had or could utilize information received from outside of its custody database, making specific references to SIS-2. We were told, quote, Neoface has been intentionally limited in scope to ensure that it only uses images held on our custody database. It is a standalone system that does not link with other national databases such as the PNC. Uh, end quote. This is true. The register understands as the real-time facial recognition system is being considered as a, quote, totally different project, end quote, from the existing facial recognition system that the coppers are using. We have also learned that the police oracle's publication of the interview caused significant upset for the management at or for management at Leicestershire Police, who did not want any advanced publicity of their new, quote unquote, surveillance project. The public would have been informed that it had been placed under surveillance after the event had ended, presumably as part of a, quote, you didn't know, therefore it wasn't intrusive, end quote, justification for the, for the scheme. In addition to police surveillance, Download Festival will be, quote, the first major UK festival to use RFID technology for full cashless payment and access control, end quote. Downloads, quote unquote, customers will be issued with an RFID festival wristband on arrival, which will determine what areas of Donington Park they have access to and will also function as an electronic payment system linked to specifically set up customer accounts through which, quote unquote, customers will have to pay for food, drinks and merchandise. Quote, every single person on site, including staff, children, RIP and VIP customers will need a dog tag to get around the festival, end quote, according to the facts section of the site. Quote, the only way to get around the festival and pay for stuff is to use this system. It's not possible to opt out of this, end quote. Downloads privacy policy acknowledged that it will collect your information through the use of the cashless payment wristbands and will typically share that information with other companies who will collaborate to establish your interests, purchases and household type to aid in profiling you for advertising purposes. Stallion here. Boy, what could go wrong? Reading on. The FAC also asked whether your, quote, movements can be tracked with RFID technology, end quote. Quote, no, it can't. Cometh the answer, your dog tag will not be equipped with GPS technology, and therefore it will be impossible to track your movements, end quote. This is quite a cynical response, which relies upon a very specific definition of what constitutes the tracking of movements, while correctly distinguishing from a positioning system, RFID, quote unquote, control access functions allow a database operator to locate the wrist bound devices by logging its passage into each access controlled area. Another statement in the fact stated, quote, all payments on the website are encrypted and use 3D secure technology. Each RFID chip is encrypted and unique to you, end quote. This does not mean that the RFIDs themselves use encryption. The register understands that this is possible, 
but will not be commercially available until 2000, until quarter three of 2015. So I want to just break in. This is what we talked about last week. We talked about metadata, how metadata is really the key way to be able to, to track somebody because it's insidious because you don't realize that all that info is being sent up. Okay. And this, the fact that you could still get tracked by RFID by passing various uh, checkpoints, you know, RFID checkpoints. Yes, that's metadata. That is, you can still get tracked. Sure. There's not GPS, but it's not needed. Talking to the register, reading on, Raj Samani, chief technology officer at Intel Security, said there is a, quote, there is a risk that RFID tags could be used for the profiling and or trafficking of individuals because identifiers could be used to re-identify a particular individual. It is important for consumers to be made aware of the policy and give their consent for the tags to be made operational without appropriate consent. Retailers who pass RFID tags to, cons to customers without automatically deactivating or removing them may enable this risk of RFID tags being used for tracking individuals End quote. Download and UChip had not commented on this story at time of publication. We will update it if and when we receive a response from either of them. Now, uh, this is from June 11th. So a pretty fresh story, uh, and there's been no update in that time frame. Uh, the whole point here is, yes, certainly going to a metal show, it ain't very metal, okay? <laughs> because metal's all about freedom and having a good time. Uh, and if you are just constantly being tracked and, you know, you're paying, I mean, just th this is a, Nor like, like the article said, it's an Orwellian nightmare. And the important thing to really take away from this, in my opinion, is that you got a glimpse of all ironies at a concert, the download festival. You got a glimpse of what they, them, those want for the entire planet. In my opinion, no need for conspiracy theories here. It's already being done. And the value of it is being described. And also the clearly the idea, the notion of not telling you until after something gets used is well in play in even something as benign as a concert. It's creepy to read that. You can read the whole story again for yourself. Uh, there's no good light to put on this. I mean, what are they going to say? Is this to protect the children because children have to have an RFID tag on it too? You know, that, that really, that really gets me. Um, do me a favor. If you are so concerned about your child, don't get them used to getting tagged or to registering for anything. Because in my opinion, that's the antithesis of freedom of movement of, you know, uh, freedom of identity, freedom of who you are. You don't have to register for shit. If you don't want to, but a lot of the, you know, a lot of this stuff, and I think this is happening at Liberty events too. I wouldn't be shocked if, uh, if, if there's the idea, well, just, you know, come and, and register your children so we can keep an eye on them and all this stuff. No, 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 no. Parents, if you're bringing your children somewhere, you keep your goddamn eyes on them. Don't give that up to a third party. That's not their business. And you are a steward of that child. Now dare you try and put that off on somebody else. And because I guarantee you, that's how all this RFID, you know, technology and all that stuff, how that's all going to get used. It's all going to be, well, this is to protect your children. That's your job. Otherwise, don't have a kid.
well, but at the event, it's about the only thing I can do. Then you don't go to the event. Sorry. Okay. You made the bed. Sleep in it. Uh, yeah, that's not cool. If I, I, I don't care who was, if I was, if it was going to be like Kiss's last show, my favorite band ever, if it was going to be Kiss's last show and they said, uh, sir, you're going to have to wear an RFID. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> I, I guess Kiss is not going to get my money. And that's the thing is that people, that's how you do it. You don't give money to these events that put on, you know, the, this really invasive uh, technology. You say, well, it's just a concert. It's just a concert. That's where it starts. I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. Babylon 5 ended a great war and united a hundred alien races in peace. Danger didn't die. It just went underground with new heroes and new evils to carry the torch. We need to make sure they all understand we will not be intimidated. What is wrong with you people? We have to set him against himself. It's an entire new season of Babylon 5 with all new episodes. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. Agent Sovereign, Skylab C is in a polar orbit of the Earth. Computer, it's not Agent anymore. We don't work for them. Natalia, Elizabeth, Jane, and I, and anyone else that wants to join us, we're rogue now. We have to put an end to domination. Agent Sovereign, come join us. Yeah, join us. Don't be a wanker. <laughs> well, there's no reason not to have fun in the process. I'm coming, ladies. Oh, yeah, yeah, anarchy, anarchy. The climax. All right, it is time for the climax where I can talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. It could be literally anything. And I'll get to it in a moment, but I just want to make one last comment um, on uh, on the bit of, you know, this RFID thing at festivals and parenting and registering your children, making sure they're safe and all that. Um, you know, I'm not saying that you need to be a helicopter parent. I think that that can be, you know, that that sends the same message that the RFID chips do. What I'm saying is, is that if you really care about, you know, your child's growth, I think things like unschooling and uh, maybe they call it, I don't know if there's a phrase unparenting or whatever. I think all of that's really wonderful. But the notion is, is that you treat your child like it's a human being. OK, and if you want to have RFID, stra- uh, you know, ch- chips strapped onto you. Well, I, don't, I mean, I'm, I'm baffled by that, but uh, OK, but I'm, I'm just saying, you know, if you if you're overly watching a child or if, you know, you're you're having some third party do it or whatever, you're not really showing that child any trust. And you're not really showing that child any freedom. And it doesn't have to just be children. I'm not going for the nuclear option of what about the children? This could be for loved ones. Maybe even lovers. You need to show them some trust. Okay. And that when they walk away, you know, that everything's going to be fine. People need to show each other trust. And this whole RFID, a lot of this stuff. Yes, I know. It's just a concert, right? 
But like I said, I guarantee you this doesn't, you're telling me with all the things the NSA does, they wouldn't want this on every single human being on the planet. Are you kidding? Of course they would. Okay. I'm just saying is that these technologies are antithetical to the foundation of human interaction, which is trust and choice itself. Because there's only, and the choice was gone too, because there's only one currency. You can only use your, your little tag. You don't have an option. And libertarians, boy, they fall flat on that too, because it's either always, what do they always say? Well, gold or no, Bitcoin, Bitcoin only. You cannot use anything else. You can only use Bitcoin. There shall never be another coin. And thus you lose choice and trust. Anyway, uh, I, this week I want to get into something. Uh, I, I spent a little too much time on that. I want to get into something uh, that is exciting and then depressing at the same time. Okay, I'm going to review a quasi TV show, and it's the new screensavers and emphasis on the new. Um, this is being done on the Twit Network, which I love. Uh, Leo Laporte does it with whatever host he decides to have. I really appreciate Leo Laporte. Uh, another, you know, kind of a hero of mine. He's certainly been very inspirational to me and very helpful uh, in, in ways that he'll never know. <laughs> so uh, so I love his work. I watched the original, not the new, but the original screensavers very often uh, when it was on Tech TV. And so back in, in the beginning of May, uh, you know, Leo Laporte came out and said, yeah, we're going to do the new screensavers and they've done a great job. They have started airing it. You can catch it. You can watch video or you can just listen to the podcast, but it's really kind of a TV show. You sort of need to watch it or at least half watch it. And they've done a great job so far with the new screensavers. Uh, it definitely, you know, by and large, it feels like like they have call for help where, you know, people will call in via Skype and, you know, ask, uh, you know, technical things and they'll do like even kind of a, a quasi mailbag and all this stuff. Uh, and they'll have guests on and, you know, showing stuff off and they'll have other other guests, other big names in the tech world that will, will give tips and all these things. They've had Kevin Rose on all, all kinds of people. And they'll even do like a blast from the past where they'll find somebody uh, from, you know, like the, from the original screensavers that nobody's heard from in a while and they'll have them, uh, you know, either Skype in or be on the show one or the other. Uh, and you know, it, it's, it's good for what it is. And I, and I'm not saying the production value is phenomenal. Everybody's entertaining, you know, as usual, but I can't, something feels off about it. And I've been thinking about it for a little while. And I think I've, I've come to a conclusion as to, as to what it is. Um, the only, the only aspect I'll say on the production that I think is kind of missing is I remember back in the, you know, nineties and the, the early aughts that, you know, with, with the screensavers, with that show, they would kind of do like this funny, like try to make it sort of exciting and intensive or and, and intense by doing these funny angles with the camera where they'd kind of like shake the camera a bit and like it was coming up live. Like you could tell that, that there was a cameraman walking right up to the person and the camera was not steady, nor was it kind of meant to be. Um, maybe I'm misremembering how that works, but I, I don't think that that's, that that's inaccurate. Uh, so that's kind of missing. And the other thing that's missing is sort of the ad lib that I think was going on because it was such new ground when screensavers was being done. I mean, like, a, a, yes, there was the computer chronicles, but there was very polished, but to do kind of a, and I love the computer chronicles, please don't, don't misunderstand me. I named, you know, I, I give a, I pay homage with a segment of my show to the computer chronicles. That's how much I loved it. Okay. But the screensaver is like, 
you know, they, they, they were definitely breaking new ground with trying to make technology really kind of exciting and hip. Uh, you know, for, for using the word hip is, <laughs> it's always a giveaway, right? But, but they were doing it. They were, they were making it happen, but what, and none of that's really what made it off though. I could live without all of that. What I think really is missing and what it really highlights, what the new screensavers really highlights is that, you know, in a lot of ways, technology is just not exciting anymore. Like, it's all kind of the same shit. It's like, oh, we got a new app. Oh, we got a new phone. Oh, there's a new Dell. Oh, I mean, like, there's no, there's nothing like really groundbreaking going on, you know, or like even, I mean, because at the time, and yeah, I know, you know, lightning doesn't necessarily strike twice. And certainly the, you know, the, the late nineties and the early aughts was, uh, you know, amazing what people were figuring out what to do with the internet. Uh, you know, that that's a fact. And I'm not saying that that can happen again, but it kind of shows that that a lot of that sort of stopped. And I don't think I'm being like an old man. First off, I'm only 34, but I don't think I'm being an old man and saying, oh, I miss the glory days or something like that. No, no, really. The tech industry has gotten really stagnant. And I don't know why that is. Yes, there's exciting revelations in science. There's all this stuff. But that's the thing is that a lot of the like even in the tech world and in the science realm, you know, when you when you talk about the exciting things that are going on, you're not really seeing the personal application. And maybe that's it. Maybe so many people and I've tried to with Sovereign Tech with my own show, I've tried to resolve this to where largely I don't want to talk about what's coming anymore. I want to talk about what's here and what you can do right now. And that was the thing with the screensavers is that it was either something that was going to be coming like within a month or it was something that already existed and they would be telling you about it and they tell you how to use it. And that was really exciting. And they'd have, you know, there's a lot of ad living and they'd have a lot of fun and just kind of the, the lack of professionalism that existed. Like you could tell things were meant to look kind of quasi geeky cool. And, but it didn't, you know, but it wasn't, uh, you know, like as high a production as say computer chronicles was, um, you know, you're kind of missing that too now. Uh, you know, cause now it, it's, it's got a very, very polished, uh, production. There's like specific sets and stuff like that. I don't know. It just, it, it feels different in that regard, but overall, the overall issue I have is that it just, it really shows that that magic of what was being developed in the time frame that the original screensavers was on that magic's gone, or at least it's not here yet. Like it's, it's still coming. Uh, and, and you know, what, what a shame. And, you know, I mean, there's certainly there's exciting technologies coming. There's no doubt about that. And that to uh, to some degree already already exist, uh, like Alexandria uh, from the Block Tech Group. That's that's a great technology. Uh, there's, of course, MadeSafe, uh, ZeroNet. We talked about MegaNet. I mean, a lot of these things are, you know, those are really like the kind of technologies you sort of wanted to hear about on the screensavers way back when. Um, but now, you know. It, I mean, I don't know. I guess they just they don't talk to these people for some reason when they're really, you know, they did a lot with where they've been talking about 3D and 3D printing and augmented reality. And those are certainly interesting aspects, but like it's all no one. It's not pervasive to where you want to watch the screensavers to be able to, you know, help you understand its application and what you can do with it. So maybe we're just at this weird point to where a lot of these technologies are coming and they're just not here. They're just not ready yet. Maybe that's the reality of the situation. 
Uh, because I think augmented reality is really exciting. I think virtual reality is really exciting. Um, I think peer-to-peer systems are really exciting and peer-to-peer innovations are really exciting. Uh, and, and it's just, it's not something that, that necessarily comes up. Um, and you know, the other thing that, that kind of bothers me too, I'll, I'll, I was going to do a blog post about this at some point and maybe I still will. Uh, but I was listening to an episode of this week in Google. Uh, again, I listened to that out of self-defense. <laughs> not because I enjoy Google. <laughs> and there were like Leo at one point, this is just a couple of weeks ago. And Leo says, I'm glad, you know, Leo Laporte, he said, I'm glad that Google has finally said, you know what? We're just, we're forgetting about privacy. We're just, we're taking all of your data and we're just going to give you the services out of it. And boy, that really, I was like, I mean, you know, my jaw just like dropped. Like, really? Like, yeah, I guess you should have that. You You can have that choice. Fine. But I, I don't know, like, like that was really disconcerting because that was one of the, you know, that was something that would often get talked about on the screensavers. Like they had, you remember Kevin Rose's the dark tip or how to do things anonymously and all this stuff. But if everybody's just like, no, nah, fuck, I just want to hand it over. I don't give a shit, <laughs> you know, to the, to the Google empire. Well, you know, then that, that's something that's, that's missing too. Uh, so I guess just overall, like, uh, you know, and, and part of this comes from the fact that certainly tech has very much become mainstream. Like everybody uses it as to where, you know, in the late nineties and the early aughts, uh, because again, you know, as I said, often in my opinion, the internet really didn't become a real thing, a totally pervasive thing until 2003. That's when it really hit the high marks as far as like, okay, now people are doing it, they're banking on and all that. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that, uh, that that's, that's when it, you know, when it kind of happened, Uh, And so you're not, you don't, I don't think you feel like you're part of this kind of community anymore. Now, like everybody's into it. And so now you have to appeal to everybody with what's being, you know, know, with what you're talking about and you kind of lose that niche. And that's what everybody, you know, this is something too. uh, speaking of the internet, a lot of people kind of make this sort of nebulous claim that the internet is so wonderful and big because it brought us all together it didn't really bring us all together. What it did is it allowed you to connect with other people around the world that share similar passions that are a part of your niche. Okay. Part of your community. It wasn't, it wasn't actually that everybody could connect to each other because with the Dunbar number, not everybody can connect to each other. You can't hand your brain can't handle it. It's not possible. Okay. So, you know, the, like the fact is, is you kind of you lose your niche. The stuff is so mainstream. I mean, you know, the new screensavers in many ways, and I don't mean this necessarily as insult, but, you know, it may as well be NBC Nightly News. You know, because now it's just so broad, like and and, and I don't think that they they really take the time to get super technical. I, I don't know. It just it feel the whole everything feels different. Everything feels really different. There's just that underlying uh, lack of sense of innovation. I think that's really going on because, you know, you look around in, in San Francisco and you have startup culture and you have startups in general. And most of them, most of them aren't innovating. I listed some that are okay, but most of them, I mean, it's not really innovation. It's just like taking analog and putting it into digital. It's not really like something that's, that's so, you know, just like mind numbingly different or, or earth shattering, you know? Uh, it's not that, and it's all kind of a joke. So yeah, it just, it just feels wrong. I mean, it, you can still enjoy it. You know, I still try to catch it, uh, you know, every week, 
uh, you know, because you, you can download it. And that's, I mean, talk about innovation. <laughs> uh, you know, the fact that you can download TV shows now, you don't need the TV Walkman anymore, right? But yeah, it's enjoyable. It just doesn't feel the same. It doesn't feel as groundbreaking anymore. And it doesn't feel like like you're part of the community, really. It, it, it's just, I don't know, that, that's, that's what's missing. But otherwise, it's, it's really fine, really enjoyable. Anyway, that's enough of that. It's off to Porkfest, baby. <laughs> Carpe Lucem, everybody. Of course, if you love what we're doing with Sovereign Tech and Dark Android and all the other things we do, Please feel free to donate. Thank you to all that already have. Go to the support us tab at zog.ninja. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the Evolution. Evolution.